what I need from Deadwood is a fucking prequel series set in Australia when like <laughs> Al was there just like hanging out because I would watch the shit out of that. Mm. Hello and welcome to Vassals of Kingsgrave. In today's episode, we will be discussing season three of the HBO series Deadwood. Uh, this is a continuation of season one and season two. At the end, we're probably going to tack on a brief discussion of Deadwood, the movie, which came out in, fill in the year, 2017, 18? I don't know. So uh, today I am joined by... Bina. Hey guys, this is Bina007. Dana. Dana on the forums. And Michael. I am Michael or Mordian on the forums. I am Thomas FT Ward on the former podcast of Ice and Fire forums. <laughs> I don't know if they'll, they'll ever be back. Right. So. I, yeah, I don't imagine. <laughs> Maybe so our I'm forum gonna... names are less uh, helpful. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> So the third season and the final aired season is uh, my least favorite season. But if we could go through, uh, May, if you each want to give us your thoughts uh, on the third season and your, we did can of peaches ratings for the mm-hmm. first two seasons. So out of five, Bina, what are your general thoughts on the third season and what would your can of peaches rating be? I mean, I wasn't on the original Deadwoods, right? So for context, I started watching this. Thomas, uh, Michael and I have done a bit of a, a rewatch through some of the HBO classics, starting with Wire and then on to The Sopranos. And to me, the first season of Deadwood was something like the most perfect television season I've ever seen. Just faultless. So get like five cans of peaches doesn't even begin to summarize it. And then two wasn't quite as good, but was still probably a solid five relative to other TV. And I was a bit worried about three because you guys had expressed that you maybe didn't like it as much. And I did find it a bit more of a slog, especially early on. I'd probably come out and give it a three. And I'm basically knocking a point for difficulties I had with the final episode and the choices that Al make makes and whether they're credible as situated in character, and um, which Dana and I chatted a bit about on the on the on the VOC Discord. And I'm docking a point for. I think it was an error to make Hurst's character alter so wildly from season two and to make him more of an almost unvarnished bad guy. Because I think part of what made Deadwood so good in one and two is you've got Al, who's basically a selfish profiteer, but but is redeemed by being partly good too. And then you've got Seth, who's basically good, but is much more interesting because he can occasionally lose his temper and is partly bad. So you have very nuanced characters. And I just felt Hearst became just something altogether less interesting. And it was interesting seeing the town sort of rally up to fight him, but he himself just wasn't that interesting. Dana, what about you? It's been about a year since I watched season three. So a lot of this is in hindsight. So I give it like four cans of peaches with cinnamon, like just like a little bit. But I, I think it's because when I first watched season three, and like the second and third time I watched season three, um, I did get frustrated with the main characters, but seeing it's been a while since I've watched them, um, the things that I remember about season three are the, they're not minor characters, but like the sub main characters, their stories I really enjoyed. Yeah, four, like a solid four. I enjoyed it. Looking back, I enjoy season three more than season two somehow. But I do agree, like, Hearst being an all-out villain is a bit iffy. Like, he becomes very boring where he was very interesting in season two. But it's really hard to give season three a rating after watching the movie sometimes. Like, at, at least I feel. feel. Just one thing yeah. to say, I haven't watched the movie yet, so I'd appreciate no movie spoilers if that's okay. Oh, that's absolutely fine. I, I would need to rewatch the movie to remember things. Same. Michael, what about you? 
Um, I think probably I'm gonna I'm gonna go sub three. That was that was what I was trying to decide whether I would say three just because I did overall probably. I mean, it was certainly it's not like I was watching every episode wishing that it was over or anything. Definitely uh, a lot of the Lang Grish stuff. I was watching, and I mean, maybe, you know, to some degree it's not fair because they didn't get their season four and presumably, you know, they had lots of things that they wanted to do with Langriche, but so much of the the, the Langriche stuff, which I, I didn't remember, like I remembered him as a character, but like, I didn't remember any of the, like watching him in this old, it was just like, they brought, I don't know, like they tried to pull an emotional response from me from the, for this, dead act for this old actor dying who I've never met before it's like to the extent that like they wanted me to feel sad about whatever Bullock's kid the previous season like at least I don't know at least he'd been in the show for a few episodes <laughs> before they tried to make me feel bad about it and then like uh, to be fair uh, to be totally honest I'm not 100% sure what the fuck was going on with that younger woman if that was his daughter and the older woman was his her like I have no earthly fucking idea what was happening like maybe I was drunk watching it and I should have picked up on something and I didn't. Um, anyway, so a lot of the language stuff didn't work for me. Um, Hearst also, I agree with Bina that I think that they made a mistake um, painting him so negatively, just so like completely villainously in the third season, because at the end of the third season, I just felt like what what have we been doing for two ep for two seasons now? Like he. Sh um uh, Alma sells her claim and then her sleeves and that's 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 what we've gotten and it would be one thing if he wasn't so much of a villain and you could have the whole story just kind of be you know like this is what happens in the camp you know a, a powerful person comes to camp and like he kind of sucks and kind of doesn't and in the end you know he goes away and life in the camp continues and stuff like that but instead like I don't know the way it was presented with him being like such a unalterable uh, not unalterable but like such a such a deep black of a villain and then we get nothing he just he he basically wins and and then decides to go work a claim in uh nevada or where montana wherever he was going anyway yeah so i'm gonna say two and a half for the third season yeah, I, I mostly agree with everything you guys are saying. I, I guess I would give it like a three and a half or something like that. And I could, depending on where it could go as low as a three. Uh, Langriche and the theater troupe, uh, I guess Langriche is somewhat interesting, but the rest of them, I could not care less. A, a second they're on screen is wasted for me. Uh, I think in the first season, where everything is so perfect and every second is so meaningful. And, and this season, I can't stand a theater troupe. And, and like Michael said, I don't really know. I took it that the one woman was me is romantic. And I, I don't even know what's going on. I don't care. I, I mean, like They were both beards. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I, why but why, why are they so the invested to... then? I don't, I, I mean, he, I guess. Why did he have to tell the older of the two like the more established whatever why did he have to tell her I, I didn't lay a carnal hand on like why would he mention that if they're if they're beards right like i don't it's very i don't understand what the yeah. fuck was i don't, yeah, I, mean, I, really I don't really don't know what's happening and then even like odell like, go ahead i just thought with langry she was quite i mean brian cox is so superb and he's very interesting character but i just felt maybe it was building to something in season four sure and i and i guess a lot of the things that i found a bit unsatisfying i thought well maybe it was laying the pipework um but who knows sorry yeah i think langrish is, is somewhat interesting uh but the rest of them yeah i couldn't like i said and i thought odell like that whole storyline again seemed like a waste of time seemed not to really change anything or establish anything i think it would have been interesting if, if hearst would have been in season three more like he was in the, in the final episode of season two it would have been a different story obviously but that i think would have been more complicated and more interesting potentially so 
I find I find the third season disappointing. It has its moments. It has some great moments and episodes, but overall, it's more close to just okay television than for me the first two seasons are my very favorite thing on that um, odell thing i mean i take it we think hurst had him killed do you think he was was he scamming hurst was the gold real i don't get it like i, yeah. I don't I, I don't i mean i don't get what the scam is yeah like but it, but it did seem the show seemed, seemed like a lot of trouble to go through go ahead michael no, I mean, I, I, I was saying like the show seemed to be telling us clearly that it was a scam, but I, I also don't have any idea what the scam would have been or why Hearst would have been so sure that it was a scam that he decided to have him killed. It felt like Odell was being disingenuous with Hearst and in their interactions, yes. but what the scam i mean hearst is going to send a geologist there right to look into it of course and that's going to cost x number but he uh, but like he's Odell's, not going to start pouring money into it if it's if there's nothing there i, I don't yeah and like aunt I, lou uh seemed certain like as soon as she heard you know was as soon as she heard the pitch she seemed certain that it was a scam yeah Right. And I don't I don't know why I don't know how she came to that conclusion either. Like I it's very I don't know, like maybe I'm missing obvious things, but I, I yeah, really, I've seen the seasons like four I don't know how many times I've seen it and I still don't understand. Gil was overstepping his mark and that's why Hearst had him killed. So it's not just that Hearst gets scammed all the time. Odell was using Aunt Lou to scam Hearst, which was a massive thing about his pride and his relationships. So, which is a lot of Hearst's stuff, I guess. Um, So I thought he had Odell killed just because it's like, how dare you step out of place? Like, even with Aunt Lou, he seems like he favors her, but he still treats her like a servant and his cook. He has those very definite lines. So for Adele to breach those lines was too much for Hearst which is one of the reasons that he had his had him killed you know he didn't want Odell messing with essentially his servant which is how he views Aunt Lou right so it was just like how dare Mm. you mess with my things I will get rid of you um and it kind of shows that Hearst's ruthlessness extends to everyone like it doesn't matter if you have a familial relationship with someone who seems to be favored by him he still will treat you like Elmsworth you think think that there was a scam though oh for sure like Odell just didn't realize how bright Hearst was was. what was this like I don't think that there's any quest I mean there's no question in my mind that Hearst would kill anybody who tried to scam him Odell overreached. I just don't see what the scam was. What was the scam? What was Odell's plot? I mean, that's what. Yeah. Or how he essentially wanted Hearst to buy land without seeing it, without realizing that Hearst would never do that. Um, So Adele just tried to do a scam on a a much greater scale than he should have. It's like it's it's like a classic gold scam. Like we had them in Australia all the time. (laughs) (laughs) But Odell didn't seem like wrong-footed at all when Hearst said, "Obviously, I'll send a man with you back to Liberia." Odell was like, "Yeah, of course you will." Right? Odell wasn't like, "Yeah." I mean, like we didn't get anything from Odell indicating that he like Odell should have run away in the middle of the night, right? If 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 that if if somebody coming with him back to Liberia would ruin the scam, then Odell should have been like, oh, fuck, I'm fucked, and run off, right? And he didn't do that. He was like, oh, yeah, no, let's like, go to Liberia. I, I don't know if I'm filling in way too many blanks, but I, I always felt like the geologist would have gone back with Odell, and Odell would have killed the geologist to be like, he died of yellow fever, like everyone does in Liberia, essentially, um, or malaria, or whatever tropical fever not even that Liberia is that tropical but you know you could essentially say he died but I'm going to forge a note 
Um, that's me filling in blanks. Like a, a bad con man runs out in the middle of the night. A good con man keeps it going to see where he can get it. Mm. I have to say, I did like seeing black characters being given more space in the season and exploring you know, Aunt Lou in her own environment being very sort of, you know, confident and charismatic, but having to put on this sort of, you know, this mammy type persona in front of Hearst and just how deferential she had to be was actually remarkably painful to watch. And then in the final episode, which I happened to watch kind of, I think it was either the day or the day after the US presidential election and seeing you know, this incredibly blatant racist behaviour towards the black man who wants to vote and then him thinking because of because of the violence that's threatened upon him you know what he actually says i'm gonna i'm gonna back away and then after saying no you, you get back into line you know again with very sort of um nasty racial epithets but it, it was just interesting to see deadwood sort of try and explore some of those issues and i thought it did it really well i mean in very very hard to watch harsh language in this in the same way that it deals with all of its subjects right with a very unblinking eye but i thought that was really good this season um, yeah, i would just say that the little general refers to himself with that racial epithet so when when charlie yes, yes. says it i don't want to like but to these people and uh, that's it's not as much an epithet as obviously we would view it now but uh but yeah, I mean, Charlie clearly is standing up for his right, and then the the kind of the the number ten guy who's just a shit stir from like every time he's on screen, he also is like he's doing it to maybe stir up shit a little bit, but he's also you know quoting the Constitution and the 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 right of his right to vote. Yeah. regardless of his race so it kind of sucks that it's like the pinkertons are the bad guys and they're racist and everyone else is like a decent person here in dead or that's almost kind of probably i don't want to say everyone else because obviously steve is horrible racist but it, it might not even be accurate that you know like the good people of deadwood are, are on the general side and the pinkertons are just shown as shit heels every time they're on screen the, the pinkertons were shit heels yeah no i in agree. real life it was just you know they, they were you know what are you gonna pay them to do? get rid of people. like union oh sure we'll keep minds are trying to unionize we'll get rid of them you know like that that's what they did um so i i think that some of the race stuff i, I found most fascinating was I, I always thought like if, if um, like Rue wasn't a character in season one or two, like how weird season three would be, especially with the um, Chinese prostitutes and that kind of thing. But because he was in season one and two and you respect him so much, by the time he gets into season three where he's having to deal with this, um, I found that part really interesting. Um especially because I finally learned where Deadwood was on a map and it wasn't <laughs> on the West Coast. So that kind of like, you know, how they've transported these women and, and all that kind of thing and just how horrified Wu is, I, I really enjoyed as much as you can enjoy seeing that, um, that aspect of, of, of like race dialogue in Deadwood. Yeah. I mean, as always, yeah, I love Wu, the Wu evolution of Wu. I, I think it's great. I agree completely. Wu is one of my favorite minor characters. And there's one point where Al realizes that he's hidden his peeps away because of what's going on in Deadwood and hasn't brought them into town yet. And and uh, Al just says, you know, very fucking, you know, for, you know, brilliant foresight there, Wu. And he just, it's one of the very rare times Al pays anyone a compliment for their strategizing and their thinking. I, I love that partnership. I could watch Al and Wu all day long yeah yeah he compliments johnny by punching him in the face when johnny's <laughs> the one that figures it out <laughs> before before al figures it out yeah. <laughs> i also loved i mean one of the really lovely things in season three because we've talked a lot about what doesn't quite work is um the relationship between jane and Joni 
And I suppose I had known Joni was suicidal, but to sort of see it, to feel it, to hear it. And they're sort of, you know, these two very broken people potentially coming together, I thought was was just really beautifully acted and beautiful to watch. And um, <laughs> then again, Jane, again, one of my, my favourite characters, teaching school children about the Civil War. <laughs> Custer was a cunt, the end. <laughs> I mean, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> I think that's my single also favorite. Accurate. Of the <laughs> also accurate, right? I mean it's it's not a bad education, but yeah. <laughs> oh, but that, that there was I thought that was the payoff, right, of th- two seasons of watching these two quite damaged women kind of negotiating a man's world in, in slightly different ways, sort of coming together tentatively in season three, I thought was just really beautifully done. Um yeah. Yeah. One of the I thought it was such a good callback to like season one, like where Jane was happy when it was she when she was dealing with the smallpox patients when she was caring for others. And that's what Joni finds, like her some reprieve from her depression is is helping the school children, even if it's just using the building that she owns, like that's something that she can do. Jane's just yeah. the best though. I just Every time she's on screen, even when she's shitting her pants, it's great. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I think they were really, really, really good actors. Uh, uh, Robin Weigert and Kim Dickens are both excellent. And uh, like when you see, I think like Joni hates herself because she's been predatory toward young women like her whole life. Not like that's mm. just the path she was forced upon. And then to see her, you know, with the little kids in class and stuff, and then with Jane and, you know, trying to, like, not loathe herself, it's, it's, I don't know, I really think their relationship is probably the best part, maybe, of season three, I don't know. I agree, yeah. I want to, I want to give a shout out to some other random lines, which I thought were enjoyable. (laughs) regardless of whether they were or were not you know integral to the plot so i find al as a sort of management guru someone should write this sort of the management style of al swergen i think it'd be hilarious so this is one of my favorite quotes from him this season i'll kick your corpse in the ear for the waste of my fucking time i mean just like there's just something brilliant about the invention of this so i'll kick your corpse in the ear the, why the ear anyway just superb um and then another one was when Calamity Jane and Aunt Lou have a drink together. Well, Calamity Jane invites Aunt Lou to a drink. And then she says, do not employ a mug lest next week we be donning white gloves. <laughs> so good. Um, that's it for me. I just, I just think that what I love about Deadwood, even in a series, in a season, which I think might not have been quite as tightly plotted or as credibly plotted as I would have liked, is just the at the sentence level, at the language level, at the delivery of individual lines level, it just remains so classy. Like it's just one of the best shows for that. Even a bad season is still a phenomenal season relative to a lot of other TV. Yeah, I, I will I will say that. I mean, and that's I think why ultimately I was sort of struggling with whether to go sub uh, sub three on my, on my Peaches uh, scale is that it is, still it's very the way that it is written and the way that it's acted is enjoyable like so even in the the language or the the theater troupe scenes where i'm literally watching them going like why is this happening they're still enjoyable to listen to Mm. um, even if even if there's nothing else enjoyable about them and Mm. obviously there are still plenty of scenes uh that i with characters that i actually care about (laughs) but yeah the, the writing the writing the acting is excellent regardless in retrospect, like what I enjoyed about Lingrish is every time he interacts with Al, you get this idea that like life used to be simpler, but because they are both older now and they're looking at a place to stay, what they actually have to delve into, they can't cut and run anymore. Both of them are at that stage of their life where they just need to find a place to have a good couple of years and then die. And they've, you know, Al has decided that's Deadwood and Lingrish is still trying to find it and he hopes it's Deadwood, but in all of their interactions, there's this feeling like it used to be easier. Why is it so hard now? Mm. Which I really enjoy seeing both like Ian McShane and Brian Cox do this because I feel 
anyone on set watching that would just be like in awe um, because it translates so well to the screen as well. I agree. Should we talk a bit about Finale and the the saving Trixie by killing another woman plot? Sure. Because that's I, I found that a bit problematic. Not that Al would do it because Al does have a ruthlessness about him. And I've thought from season one that he, he loves Trixie in his own special way. Um, but I did find it kind of... I'm not sure if I would have thought that Seth and Charlie would necessarily go along with that. Um, and maybe it's just characteristic of how everyone just wants to get her the fuck out of town by this point, so they'll do anything. And it spoke, I guess, to the commoditization of women and that they are ultimately disposable. But it just felt, even for Al, character development as we, we'd seen in a sort of fundamental decency running through him, that this was a step too far. But what did you all think? I, I agree with you about Seth and Charlie. I think that that, I mean, it's just, it's just absolutely untrue about Al, right? I mean, to the extent that I have a little bit of a problem with the show, like I love Al, obviously, like the same way that I love, you know, Tony Soprano or, or um, you know, Avon Barksdale or anybody, right? Like um, any, any morally problematic characters. Um, but the fact is, is that Al is, a, Al is a monster, right? I mean, like Al has made a career of, brutalizing women and selling them. Al, Al has certainly murdered many, many prostitutes. Al runs criminal gangs that ambush people, families in the woods and murder them, right? I mean, like Al is 100% a monster. And so like, I, I think that there's no, I don't think there's any doubt whatsoever that Al would kill any number of prostitutes if he thought that it would enrich him personally. He does have a soft spot for Trixie. I think that's absolutely true. He's capable, you know, he's not a, he's not a, a robot, right? I mean, he's capable of forming uh, emotional attachments, but I, I don't think that there's, there's no doubt in my mind that Al, Al would kill prostitutes to the extent that it helps him financially. Uh, but yeah, I think that the way that they passed over without comments, <laughs> any sort of response from the, the more upstanding characters um, I guess very briefly, like, so I forget who, Saul maybe, asked him if he had already killed a, uh, a, a decoy prostitute. And, but Al was coy with him. Al didn't even say like, yes, she's absolutely dead. No, I'm not fucking with you. You know, I, I can't remember exactly. I think Al said he had already done it. And Saul said, is that true? And Al said, what the fuck does it matter if it is true? Something along those lines, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, very... I, the, the idea that everybody is just fine with like, oh, well, yeah, probably should murder a random prostitute and give her to Hearst, I think is something that deserved at the very least more attention on Seth and um, Charlie's response. I think it's season two. I don't remember exactly what the situation was, but uh, Al has murdered someone in his office in season two and the blood stain's still on the floor. And Seth comes up, I think, to watch a document being signed or something and, and he he you know acknowledges the blood stain and steps over it and you know i think he, he's made some sort of peace with that al is on some level and certainly in the hearse case he knows this acting in the best interests not only of the camp but here specifically of alma garrett that he's he's acted to protect her and that this is in furtherance of that and you know i think he says at the very end he's gonna have a hard time putting his head to the pillow that night but that he's on some level at peace with making an alliance with al and knowing everything or accepting mm -hmm. everything that that entails I wonder if what's really happening here is that Al actually, this is very consistent with Al, but because over watching these three seasons rather quickly, I've sort of fallen a little bit in love with him and started to excuse his behaviour in the same way that one excuses Tony Soprano's behaviour because he's very charismatic. So that when you're forced to see the brutal reality of what he is in that season finale, rather than admit to the, myself that I've been suckered in by a charismatic, violent psycho, I think, oh, it's bad writing. It's not consistent with his behaviour. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I think it's Dan says at one point 
this is just the kind of murder that you preach, Al, which is something that'll avoid more trouble down the line, kind of like you. I don't think Al is like kills people very pragmatically. You know, he doesn't just kill people to kill people. He does it to further his commercial interests. Yeah, I I mean, absolutely. But I mean, I think that that he certainly does not shy away from killing people when it's when it's financially practical for him. Although I do actually, I mean, since you brought it up, why, why do you, what's your impression of why he killed everyone? What's your impression of why he killed the Pinkerton agent? Uh, he hates Pinkertons, Irish. first of all. He hates I mean, Pinkertons, sure, yeah. And I think that guy beat up Merrick. I mean, he makes us, he makes a special so that, that So that one was personal, you think? More I, I think there was, yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I mean, I, it, that's my impression also it's underdoing you know Hearst's plans but i think personally he dislikes pinkertons and he dislikes this guy in particular for shoot he accuses him uh, do we know that that's the guy that shot at alma i don't no, know but but he I accuses guess he her of that of yeah and then yeah. he further knows that that's the guy that beat up merrick which he, yeah. he takes personally at least that's my impression I, I it did seem more personal. I mean, it just since you happen to mention that it was usually practical with Al, I thought I would ask. I mean, couldn't you make the same case for Hearst? It's not personal; it's practical. Oh, or do you think he goes beyond that's it? Why, yeah, that's why I think Hearst could have been really great. I think in a in a season where they didn't write him as just like so completely so completely the bad guy right like if you had a Hearst who is a bit more like the Hearst from the end of season two and you just have him do terrible things right like so he's applying pressure more and more pressure on Alma to sell at the same time he's murdering you know Cornishmen that are trying to unionize at the mines right like you have him do all this stuff but you don't have him uh you don't have him in such stark conflict with with al and such stark like i'll burn this you know camp to the ground before you know that kind of thing right like you he doesn't if he was less gross personally yeah right? like i mean one like, thing that i think you know uh perfectly reasonably i'm not complaining i mean i think there's it's a little bit of a problematic trope or whatever but like one thing that you know you can never forgive a character for in a in a TV show, right, is that like is when they when they rape someone or try to rape somebody, which obviously that's true. I think it's kind of overused to signify badness or whatever. But I think you know you sort of lost all anything from from Hearst when he says I almost raped uh, Mrs. Garrett, right? It's just like at that point it's like well then you can't you know you can't do anything with Hearst again, right? Like Hearst is now painted completely one color, and you can't do any sort of like redemptive sort of thing with him but all of like al's interactions with like sexual interactions with trixie in season one had that feeling to it like it felt like she had no choice i i'm sorry sorry i i totally agree with you i mean that's definitely true i think that actually pretty much all of al's interactions with his prostitutes are are um are like that right because i mean he he essentially he does control access to their bodies and and they don't, but they don't paint it that way in the show, right? The show is not saying this is a man who was going to rape someone. It is rape, basically, because he's their pimp and they don't have any choice. To, they don't have the ability to say yes or no. So it, act, it absolutely is rape, but the show doesn't paint it that way. And that's the same thing, like, you know, and so Hearst, by saying I almost raped Mrs. Garrett, he doesn't actually commit a rape, but the fact that he said that he wanted to has put him be in a place where he seems worse than Al, even though practically speaking, no, he's not. But I mean, I think that's about- Yeah, the know, difference really between cool. like coercion and violence. Well, and also just like the language of the of the television show, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because Al's also yeah. physically violent with, with uh, people that prostitutes that work for him. Yeah, because I, I found the difference between like Al and Hurst is the, like Al is like small scale capitalism and Hearst is like large scale capitalism. Like he will come in and demolish Deadwood so he can have the mind that he wants where Al is 
no, I will stay here and still be a terrible person. Um, but people will have jobs and they can kind isn't, of isn't have the their difference? own lives. I mean, they, they both are self-interested and want to make money. Isn't the difference yeah. that Al sees the survival and the thriving of the camp as helpful yeah. to him, which Hearst doesn't see. He's not invested in it in that way. Yeah, yeah because, because of that, yeah, exactly. Because of that investment, like all the people that we now care about as characters and everything. Yeah, that's exactly it. And all the people he cares about. I mean, there's a wonderful scene. It's either at the start of the season or the end of the last. I think it might have been the end of the last where Al's just standing on his balcony with a cup of tea, just surveying the camp and what he has in large part sustained and created and twisted and formed to his own ends. But it's beautiful. There's almost a kind of caring, paternalistic, proprietorial look about him, even though actually in reality it's rather predatory and... um, dictatorial and I guess that's the duality of Al that I love so much and why I find the final episode challenging even though it probably is exactly what he would have done and that's why I find Hurst a thinner character because Hurst doesn't have that and maybe that is the appropriate antagonist to to Al I just wonder if I just wonder what would have happened in season four and I do find it slightly anticlimactic that Hurst sort of just slithers off into the sunset and I wonder if he might have come back or you know Hurst was set up to be the antagonist this season. It doesn't feel like Milch was setting up anyone to be the antagonist for next season in his place. I don't yeah. know the, the fully the details of what Milch's plans were for season four. I think Bullock is going to lose the election. I'm pretty sure of that. But other than that, I don't really know what, what his plans were. Dermot, if he was here, he would be the expert in knowing what the, what the season four plans would have been. Yeah, maybe I'll do a bit of reading up before the movie and before the next episode of this podcast. We can get oh, one don't, of the Don't. Yeah, don't yeah, yeah, just watch the movie. And then watch the movie. Yeah, yeah just watch the research. movie. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll watch the movie after I've watched The Crown, which will be like tomorrow. So, <laughs> Is there anything else we should talk about on the season? I thought we haven't discussed Alma, but I just found her rather dull. I do not get the draw of her. I agree. But particularly in this season, I was quite happy when she yeah, slipped off as well. I, I, I do liked her in previous seasons, but I, I found her... Mm, I didn't find any... I guess I would say I didn't find anything particularly compelling about her this season. I did like, and if, if you ever watch, you can kind of watch Jen, who is not really much of a character, but you know that she's going to have an importance at the end. But I like her in this season. Jen is always like she's talking when they're having the town meeting and she's talking with the other prostitutes and she's like i guess having you know if you don't have a dick i forget how she says it but yeah. you know you can own a bank and you still you don't can own a bank but if you have a pussy then yeah yeah mm. and then she's also like when alma's taking refuge in the gem you know like they she's kind of leading them like they kind of want to talk to like alma is in such an elevated position over their lives that they can't even really imagine even though they're like she walks the same streets and everything that they, they can't even kind of imagine what it's like to be her and I, I find that really interesting kind of class disparity hmm. yeah I, I, this is the I, season I, that doc thinks he's dying right yeah which also seems yeah. to somehow go nowhere just i don't go really know away how. once al yells at him it just kind yeah, of yeah i don't know how tuberculous <laughs> tuberculosis normally develops I, maybe maybe it maybe it has like a relapse kind of a thing i don't know you know i have no idea but that was uh, at this period of time it it did like a lot of people like California and especially San Francisco was advertised as like a a place if you had tb because like of the dry air yeah. but yeah depending on i guess the people's constitution um other people went to like very cold mountains which is why the swiss alps had so many like sanatoriums there as well um but you know that that dry kind of mountainous air was seemed to be really good so maybe doc's tv could have entered like a little bit of a latency phase mm-hmm. and fled up again yeah oh, I mean, TV back then I- was a tough one a moment's yeah. pause. I, I mean, certainly, I mean, with, given that mm. I know nothing about it, right? I mean, like, we, everybody knows, like, the the Doc Holiday thing, right? Like, he got diagnosed. Hey, wait, I thought we were all epidemiologists now. Yeah. 
just viral now. We don't know anything about bacteria. Do we have anything else to say on season three? Because I'm conscious as much as I love this discussion that the crown awaits. Uh, I just wanted to, Poldark, has anyone seen Poldark? Or, uh, just because we're talking about mining and Cornishmen and then yes. redemption of yes. characters that yes. committed rape. <laughs> I, I, ha- I, have, I have not watched Poldark. I watched okay. I'm so glad this is going this way. <laughs> I watched the first couple of seasons, but then it all got a bit too ridiculous for words, so I just sort of gave up. Okay, uh, no spoilers then. Yeah, okay, well, no, that... I, know, I know broadly what happened because it was sort of like, it was so popular at the time that it was the, the, the chatter of England. So I, I then went and read all the books and 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 he gets, uh, I don't even want to go into it, but he he's like counsels his son to go rape someone later on in the story. Really? Just, oh, it's. Wow. This is just, well, just when you're, you're like starting to like uh, kind of forgive him. I don't know, whatever. But then he like, he tells his son that like basically a little bit of force will help a woman make up her mind off and then or something like that Just... so what when were these books written what, what era oh he were he, i think the first one was like right after world war ii and then like the last one was in the 70s gosh so yeah. i mean not that long ago thank you for listening and uh, i don't remember <laughs> what the formal sign i'm sorry i i'm the one podcast I ever hosted and like I didn't I mean I sort of hosted it and then Dagos Rivers edited it or whatever but like I was trying to do the sign and the sign out or the word it was just like uh thank you I know goodbye I have no idea <laughs> well I think that serves as, as well as any excellent I've just been um, binge watching The Crown. But I keep meaning to and then not doing it. It's incredibly well acted and well put yeah. together. And I think this season will attract a lot of viewers because it's the Diana Charles season. Mm-hmm. So basically woke up, had a huge English breakfast, watched a couple of episodes and then forced myself to do a bit of exercise, which was a mistake after the full English breakfast. Yeah, it was. Went for a COVID test, a COVID swap test, as one does in these times. Came home, watched another episode. We'll podcast with you and then no doubt watch a whole bunch of other episodes. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I am. You're talking about the crown, right? Yeah. I'm starting watching it after this and probably finishing watching it after this, if season three is anything to go by. I mean, I literally just came upstairs, put on my PJs and got into bed for this call because I know that afterwards I'm going to go downstairs, lie on the sofa and just watch the rest of the season. <laughs> so pathetic. <laughs> but it's the Diana Charles one. I feel so personally invested in it because, you know, that was my lifetime. I was the kid in primary school who was forced to patriotic little flags and be rejoicing at the wedding. And it feels like the story of my childhood. So I'm very into it. Uh, what's your background today, Thomas? What are we looking at here? Oh, uh, oh it's everyone's background now, Vina. <laughs> How do you not recognize this? Yeah. It's the Four Seasons landscaping. Ah. Uh, they released, me. apparently, I was I was told on a previous Zoom call this week, <laughs> they released a specifically Zoom-sized photograph yeah. for people to use. <laughs> I mean, the marketing that they've had from that is just phenomenal. I love it. It's so good. But he hasn't conceded yet, right? He's not going to concede. He's not going to concede. I, so I what don't happens? know. Well, I mean, I mean, I think nothing. Basically, ever it'll it'll all be the same. You know, I was thinking about it, and in no way a defense of a, you know, an appalling, horrible person in so many ways. But in no way a defense. But it is kind of weird that we even do can the concede thing, right? Like, you know, it's not like at the end of a football game, you know, you have to like line up the Cowboys and be like, we did lose. And we want to acknowledge the fact that we well, lost this game. Like in college, you or high school, you do. You kind of get together and you shake, shake hands. hands. I mean, like, sure, sure. I, I'm just saying it's a little bit weird that it is a whole thing where it's just like the media has to call it and then you immediately have to concede. Well, I don't I, think the again, media calling it is important, but I, I think conceding is I mean, it's certainly almost a necessary step. I don't know. 
Well, we, we ha- kind of have the same thing, right? Because, I mean, our election, the polls usually close at 10 o'clock. You get an exit poll, which is pretty obvious on who's won. And then literally, or sometimes it takes till three in the morning if it's co- closer. But certainly by the time everyone wakes up at seven o'clock the next day, you've got the result. And then the leader, the prime minister, if he's lost, or whether he's won or lost, really, or she, has to drive to the Queen at a certain time and is told by the Queen to form another government in her name or fuck off, thank you for your service. And then the leader of opposition... Well, that part is it. obviously weird, that you have to go to the Wait. Queen first. Well, that's also an issue with... Isn't like, there, like, a key the... handing over ceremony? Like, here's the keys to 10 Downing Street, have no, fun, the, the, I chat the, everywhere? The point, is, the point is, is that when the leader, when the current Prime Minister, if they have lost, has been to the Queen and been told in no uncertain terms that they are not being asked to form because there's no government when when we go to the election we dissolve our government we right. yeah, that's government, what I was right? gonna... so at that point you're not actually the prime minister you're fi- you're fighting for so in a sense we don't need to concede because you've already oh. been the job's been taken away but you're still living right. in 10 downing street so at the point you go to the queen and she says well i'm not going to invite you to form a government you go back to downing street get your stuff and move out and then by the time the, the leader of the opposition who's won the, the the election goes to the queen and she says please form a government in my name they then drive to turn downing street and take ownership that day so there's no there's no shitty shallying about <laughs> it's just so yeah great. i mean it's definitely yeah the, people the have spoken also... yeah but that that's how america could solve this right what you could say is that you stop being president on november 2nd to contest the election and that would stop the whole concession nonsense. Yeah. Does the US have the same amount of like bureaucrats that stay in place no matter who wins or loses to help run sure. the next government though? Sure, they're or are they all politically appointed? Bureaucrats. I think I think the proportion is more political appointees than it would be here, right? But I mean, there, there's a backbone that keeps things running. I mean, yeah. there's, oh, I, mean there's I think the vast majority are career yeah. civil servants. You're, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because yeah, evidently government is still functioning and has indeed well, functioned. <laughs> the <laughs> fact that government <laughs> has functioned for the hear. past four years with the people in charge is remarkable in and of itself. There was a really weird time where after the Brexit referendum... Was so that's not a normal election. So the prime minister hadn't resigned yeah. to contest it. So the Brexit referendum obviously was won by the Brexiteers, um, and so Cameron. so the prime minister obviously resigned because he, you know, if the people have voted against your wishes, you can't in all honour remain prime minister. So he resigned. So we had no leader of the government, and we then Here, had... there is no problem with staying in power when people have voted against you, but. No, here, here we would. Yeah, it's not. an interesting. I mean, it's definitely like a cultural thing there, but yeah, a weird one to me for sure. How can you go to the entire populace with a question that you are campaigning for? I mean, if they reject it, they are in fact rejecting you and your advice. No, they reject, but they're only rejecting a part of you, right? Like all of David Cameron's political philosophy was not wrapped. Like he has other things he cares about besides Brexit that people mm-hmm. might agree with him on. I'm not. I'm not arguing that he should. But also, have but also, you can't. But also, you can't be the prime minister and execute Brexit if you don't believe in it. Although, then again, the next prime minister turned. I mean, you definitely could. <laughs> but anyway, so so he resigned, and then and then the opposition leader resigned, and then the leader of the Lib Democrats resigned. So so we had effectively no leaders of any political parties, um, and the only kind of institutional leader who was still in place was the Queen. <laughs> She was the only thing holding the fabric of the constitution together until all the political parties got their act together and you just sort of thought, thank God she's around. I mean, it really was quite a phenomenal week. Yeah, I've definitely, I've heard interesting arguments about uh, having in the US, you know, some sort of like, you know, essentially powerless, nonpartisan head of state sort of figure to, to do some of that, like A, to pull some of like the ceremonial stuff off the president's plate. And then B to to do things like that and just be sort of a a stable thing in the in the government sort of. I mean, he did have that, and he did rather reject it. <laughs> yeah, I hate that, so I'm not. Yeah, the the thought here that politicians <laughs> actually believe in anything that they would quit over rather than staying in power because that's what they believe in is 
ridiculous to me. You don't think an Amer- if the Amer- if the American president went to the people with a referendum and lost, he well, would like midterm return. the midterm elections are be- are often yeah a referendum yeah. on the president. And they oh, usually, but we, we usually, usually reject people. the president. But we don't have prime ministers resign because their party did badly in the local elections, which are like your midterms and happen sort of halfway through. I mean, I think that's more seen as, I think it's more expected that whoever's in power, the opposition will do better in our version of the midterms just because they're dissatisfied by that point. But people don't resign over it unless it's a real shellacking. But I don't think anyone's ever resigned over doing badly in the local elections. I mean, I I can't, I'm not sure I'm not a historian or anything, but like, I don't think a US president has ever resigned over anything political like that like i don't think that's I mean, ever happened nixon's the only one that's ever resigned yeah right and i mean and that's obviously it was a personal scandal um you know criminal criminal conspiracy bj didn't run for a second term because he didn't want the job same with gerald ford yeah i mean again like i think that it's definitely i mean it's a cultural thing in the uk to to do that Thank you. Very few people do resign. I'm trying to think. David Cameron resigned. But, you know, Theresa May was effectively ousted by her party. Margaret Thatcher was ousted by her party. The rest lost elections. I'm trying to think who was the last person to resign. It might have been um, after the Suez crisis, right? Maybe the Prime Minister resigned after that, I think. Alec, Alec Douglas home. Or yeah, my, my English history knowledge is not particularly yeah. strong. I mean, what, what's afraid. phenomenal is, is that the our equivalent of the Republicans, so the Conservative Party, which is my party, has a history of being a ruthless vote-winning machine. <laughs> so it tends to, if, if it feels that the current Prime Minister or the current leader of the party is not likely to win the next election, it does have a history of of torching them so famously torched margaret thatcher even though she had like the most successful vote winning record in history because they felt she'd become too unpopular and got rid of her i mean it's quite a ruthless party in that respect party does come before leader whereas the labor party and the opposition party arguably hasn't been as successful electorally because it doesn't have the balls to kind of torch its leaders I miss ruthless Labour parties. I come from a country where our Labour party just does not have the teeth where it used to. Same with like the UK Labour party. Like fuck me in the like first half of like last century, they were like ballsy motherfuckers, and now they're just like toothless. Supine. Yeah, that's why the Conservatives always win. Because ultimately, you look at Boris Johnson, who's basically become a liability with COVID. Everybody in the party knows that they will let him carry on for the rest of COVID to sort of take the fall. But before the next election, they will absolutely knife him and get a new person in. It's just so obvious. I look forward Whereas, to that. I love that. I love the Tory party elections. It's brilliant. And, and it pisses everyone else off because we're sort of electing the new prime minister and it's only the membership, which is tiny, that's doing it. I mean, there's so much wrong with it, right? But um, it's quite fun. The other kind of interesting thing in this country is there's nothing to stop you being a member of every political party. So for an investment of something like $200, you can vote in all the elections for the leader. Uh, and, if, and if you're Machiavellian, and I'm not saying I am, but why on earth would I know this if I weren't? You can vote for the person you want to be leader of your own party and vote for whoever you think would be a disaster for the opposition. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think it's generally here you're taking on trust that you're actually voting in a primary of a party you intend yeah, but you, you are open to again this is why this is why the yeah, this is why the conservatives more. win because i mean i voted multiple i voted for jeremy corbyn as leader of the opposition party because i thought we'd be a disaster oh. <laughs> and why wouldn't you i, I love it I voted, but in the u.s what they would do is they would set up a fund for people to do it and then there would be like some form of senate committee like committee several years later to look into it and nothing would change well, that's a problem with honor systems, isn't it? So, so the UK system's a bizarre mix of honor and dishonor. <laughs> in 2016, yeah. I voted in the Democratic primary because the line was shorter. <laughs> I got Is that to the really polling true, place. What? Is that really true? Yeah. <laughs> I was also. I have a. I have a. I have a good friend who's a who's a communist and really wanted me to go and vote for Bernie. And there wasn't anybody on the ticket in the Republican primary in 2016 that was uh tolerable in any way so i didn't mind that much anyway 
So you went from so you as a Republican, you voted for Bernie. Well, I mean, I'm not a Republican anyway. Um, I'm a libertarian, but I never vote in our. I never go to our like. uh, I forget what we call it. It's not a caucus. It's a. I don't know what the libertarians call their their little presidential nominating thing, but I never vote in those because they're gonna lose. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, anyway, this is fun. Um, Thomas, maybe you want to. Sure. Apologies, Dana, for. Uh, if you were expecting to talk about Deadwood season three, <laughs> but uh, so Dude, I, I live in WA. I like to know that the rest of the world is still on fire. Why I live in my cozy little isolated state. That's like, you know what? Fuck everyone. Yeah, I'm um, not a hundred percent convinced the world's not going to still be on fire, but I, I think Trump like firing the, the secretary of defense could be just petty trump bullshit that he wasn't loyal enough or it could be him putting loyal people in place to run the defense department during the next stage so hopefully it's just petty trump bullshit but we'll see i guess so you think trump's basically packing defense so that if he refuses to leave the white house he's got people on his side i think there's a possibility yeah there is a possibility i think you're right but See, what I was really, really looking forward to is like the Secret Service dragging Trump out of like the front of the White House and like his nails like scratching like the door frame and then that being part of the tour for the White House for the rest of, <laughs> you know, it's up um, until someone else redecorates, right? That's what I was looking forward to. Um, but, but if that's not going to happen... My personal feeling is that the Republicans aren't saying, like the senior Republicans aren't saying anything because they need his base to win Georgia. Once Georgia's done, they'll tell him to fuck off. But, I mean, that's a long time though, right? I mean, that's January. January, That's past Safe Harbor Day. So what happens on Safe Harbor Day? Electoral college votes are cast according to how they should be cast, or? Who knows, yeah. I don't know that, I mean, electors actually, I think, in some cases can cast votes however they want to cast votes. yeah i think it's yeah, absolutely right you could you could have a democratic state where the electors decide to just vote for trump right I mean, yeah but the electors oh, it, it depends like state to state right yeah. so some states have that set up some states are like if we're all democratic all of the votes go to democratic some states but very few have like a breakdown thing but the whole safe harbor day um because of the al gore election I don't know how I know this, um, like the 2000 election because of Florida and everything, there was a few Supreme Court rulings that actually limit both Trump and Biden in calling things. So like it essentially looks like December the 12th is like a cutoff date. So, um, but the Supreme Court essentially said like three or four days before December the 12th, like to stop counting Florida. Mm in the 2000 election. So if they're going by Supreme Court precedent, um, they are quite time limited. Although that's a bad one to cite for precedent just because they, that decision also said, <laughs> it's not a precedent. It's what we're doing right now, but don't any, no one ever look at this decision again. It's a decision for right now. And please, please don't ever talk about it for anything else. I would, I would love it if this somehow got to the Supreme Court though and Amy Coney Barrett was like, fuck you, I'll vote as I want to vote. Like this isn't the mafia. It but doesn't seem no, like, no, I mean, she's gonna vote like how her husband tells her to vote. I have no faith in like her weird side of Catholicism. It's not good. I don't is, think she has. Is, her is own she opinions. is she a weird side of the Catholicism? Is she Opus Dei? Yes, she's not Opus Dei. She's something else. She's American Opus Dei. It, it it comes from America. It's an American version of Opus Dei. So they have very strict like gender roles. So the fact that she still has a job and she's part of it is kind of weird. It almost looks like she's a plant. But that's my weird conspiracy thing. But I sound like those people who wouldn't vote for JFK because he was a Catholic and he would answer to the Pope. I don't think she would answer to the Pope. I do think she would answer to her main religious leader. Hmm. But why they don't need Trump. I mean, they've got the court, right? Or is it they think if they have Trump and then Clarice Thomas dies or resigns and they get another judge and then Roe versus... I mean, is that the end game? I mean, I, they ha- I think they... I mean, I don't know for sure. Uh, 
you know, I think that the Republicans could certainly think that they have the votes for Roe now. Exactly. Uh, I mean, they've got the court. So why do they need Trump? I mean, they right. have the court. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I, as far as like a, uh, like a tactical decision like that, yeah, I'm not sure that they do. So my whole theory is that I don't think Joe Biden wants the Senate. I mean, he can't say this publicly because if he has the Senate, then he will have the mandate for far more progressive policy than he really wants to implement. Yeah, and also, yeah. if he has the Senate, yeah. he will be forced to answer the question of whether he wants to pack court, which I don't think he does. So I think Biden's probably praying for Georgia to be Republican. I think Kamala wants Georgia. I don't think Biden wants Georgia. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I'm not sure. I don't know. Who knows? Who can see into 50, that? The 50 is also mind. narrow enough, right? I mean, that like with 50, you know, you might not like uh, like Mansion or somebody like that, right? Might not necessarily go with you on court packing and stuff like that anyway. True. And the lower house is closer than ever now, isn't it as well? Which I find phenomenal. Tighter, yeah. Yeah. We shall see. Interesting times we live in. So if you had to make a bet today, if we, if we had a little friendly wager, do you think Biden is sworn in on schedule in January. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And do you think Trump ever concedes? No. Um, I, 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 I think, think that if like he does, he'll be in a really mouthed way. Yeah. Like, I don't think that he'll say concede or anything. Yeah. And I, you know, I think it'll be, I guess one thing I was thinking about. Let, let I me made, put this another way. Do you think Trump voluntarily leaves the White House before the inauguration? Yeah, I think he yeah, will. But I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll leave this in the after show and we'll see if we were right in due course. <laughs> like, I think, uh, I guess, I think at some point Trump will acknowledge that he, that he, that he is, that he has lost power. I don't know that he will ever acknowledge that he lost the vote. And I don't yeah. think that he'll ever concede the election. But I do think that he will acknowledge that he is going to be leaving the White House. Another yeah, I think he'll just, I, I don't think he'll go to the inauguration. He'll be gone before. I have two final wages for you. This time next year, do you think Trump will still be married to Melania? Sure. Yes, but I don't feel strongly about it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I couldn't care less, but uh, I, <laughs> I think so. I, I don't know. This time they're going to have the same marriage that they had before he got elected, which is marriage in quotation marks. Like she lives somewhere and he lives somewhere and whatever. Yeah. This time next year, do you think Trump is in court defending himself for something? God, I hope so. Civil or criminal? Uh, Let it be both. Civil. (laughs) Civil. Yes, sure. Criminal? He'll definitely be embroiled in some civil lawsuits. Criminal? I don't think so. Uh, that's that's very dangerous in America for. It's a dangerous president. It's also unclear to the extent that he can pardon himself. Um, generally, the U.S. presidential pardon power is very, very broad. I think probably he can pardon himself. Um, from what I've heard from, you know, the lawyer podcasts that I listen to and stuff, not that I'm personally an expert in anyway. Um, but it sounds like he probably can pardon himself, which would take care of any potential federal issues. That's even if Biden wanted to prosecute him, which I suspect Biden agrees with Thomas that that would be dangerous. Um, which leaves just like New York or something like that. Like, can New York come up with something to prosecute him for? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So um, I, I don't know. I kind of, I guess I would bet no, but I wouldn't be surprised. Final wager. Do you think a Trump of any kind will be on the Republican ticket in 2024? Oh, like, will they win the primary? No. Yeah, so they'll be on the ticket. There'll be a Trump on the ticket. I don't know. Um, Which also could mean vice presidential nominee. I guess, I guess I will say no. Um, but again, would be totally unsurprised if the answer was yes. Uh, but I'll, I'd still, I'd still, if I had to bet, I'd bet now. 
on yeah, which I feel Trump most confident about that one. Really? Okay. You think that the Republican Party will like will not repeat that? Correct. I don't. I mean, uh, they've surprised me in the past, but uh, I I can't imagine it. I guess. Okay. I think if it is one of them, it'll be Donald again. I don't think. Well, I don't think like Donald Jr. or Eric or <laughs> any of the others have the whatever to, to actually get the nomination. How old will he be? I mean, how old is he now? 78? Yeah, it's not going to be Donald, is it? Don I mean, Jr., you know, I think. Biden's real old, too. So. Yeah, but I mean, like, everyone thought that was a problem. It's just they thought Trump was more problematic, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, no, I don't think many people actually positively cast a vote for Joe Biden. Sure, yeah. I mean, I obviously plenty of people did, but yeah, in terms of percent for the did they did they? I'm I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure lots of people did. Lots of people voted for him in the primary as well, right? I mean, of the record, of, yeah. But again, how many people in the primary voted voted for Biden positively as opposed to I think he's an old white man. He might be able to get Trump out. Yeah, I mean, I sure. I that's that's uh, arguable, but. Um, you know, I mean, like Biden's big, you know, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know. I think, I think he has, I think there's some moderate, like stability, some appeal to, for, to him as a moderate who will create like a stable um, business as usual sort of, sort of government. I think probably that has appeal for a lot of people. Um, mm. I perhaps, I mean, not perhaps, definitely not as much appeal as thank God Trump is gone. Right. Like, I think that has even more appeal for more people. But like, I think that there probably is some some genuine. uh, Yeah. Biden's the guy to make things regular. Wow. See, Biden to me feels like John McCain in a lot of like business as usual. Like neither of them seem to have extraordinarily strong opinions about anything Sure, yeah. Yeah, it was just like, no, you want like a stable old white person, like just a stable old politician, actually. Like like the end days of Margaret Thatcher. Like that's what that's what people who Margaret Thatcher, Thatcher wanted. Was not, she was not a stable politician in the end days of yeah. Margaret Thatcher. Oh was... yeah, her last couple of years of it, if you um anyway, back to Deadwood. If we were ever in Deadwood. I don't think we were ever close. 